Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There are two fundamental facts. One being we can never be our own therapist. And number two, the therapist can never do the work we need to do. Um, first point being, when we, you know, we could try and talk sense, you know, analyze a problem, figure out what the solution could be, imply, uh, apply these solutions, and then get into some kind of a cannibalistic conversation with ourselves, except the chances are that's exactly what happens. It'll turn cannibalistic. You know, when we're trying to use our brain to repair our own brain, it just kind of bursts. It's just too much work. Whereas when you're, you know, expressing that energy out to someone, a qualified, compassionate therapist, or even a friend sometimes in some cases, um, you know, j- just for the record, you know, it, it, the entire direction of that energy takes on a different shape altogether, a different form, because there's exchange. You know, you express yourself, it's being received by someone who has compassion for these thoughts, for your demons, for your fears, respect, and they'll get the dirt out and they'll reflect back to you what you need to see. So it's the difference between standing in front of a mirror and taking a good look of yourself if you, if you like what you see, or just, you know, trying to uh, twist your head in, from different angles and trying to look at yourself from different angles, which will never work. You'll always be doing guesswork. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of T.L. Mazumda which some of you will recognize is from the very, very first year of my podcast. And I think he was, I think it was one of the first 20 guests or so. And we've maintained a relationship since then. He reached out to me because he wanted to talk about mental health and his journey through that. As you hear in the episode, you hear him describe how he came to the realization that he needed to prioritize his mental health. And you're going to hear in, in his voice, you know, the, the vulnerability that he's displaying, you know, he talks about how this sharing experience is even scary. But I wanted to really interview him when he reached out because, he, you know, not only because he asked, he, he asked to express his story, but because I know him to be one of the most vulnerable people that I've established a relationship with online. And I also feel like through his music and through his story, many people can find themselves within you know, what he's sharing. And I'm hoping that during, you know, this COVID-19 situation, as you all are coming face to face with yourselves and your vices and your inner demons, you're realizing that there is room for growth. 
there is an opportunity for you to become better than you were initially. So I hope that this really speaks to you. I hope it causes you to be more vulnerable and I hope it causes you to be the best version of yourself. Before we dive into the episodes, I do want to continue to share the tools I'm using. I I have expressed to you earlier that I use BetterHelp for online therapy. And I also am a part of the Bloom team. Bloom is an app that uses CBT therapy, cognitive behavior, behavior therapy to help change your behaviors and, and your, your mindsets. And I'm going to leave links for those in the show notes. So if you want to have a form of online therapy, please use BetterHelp. And if you want to use a cognitive behavioral therapy approach, a talk therapy approach, check out Bloom. They'll be in the show notes. Don't underestimate the importance of prioritizing your mental health. All right. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today's guest is one of the OG podcast guests. He was very much in the first reiteration of this podcast, and I, I, I cannot be more excited. He is T.L. Mazumda, who is the multi-instrumentalist, con- uh, composer, producer, and all-around good guy. I've been following, following him on Instagram, following him on his social media, and he's always into his own creative style of making music and telling stories. And I've always loved how he expressed himself. But today we are going to be discussing what he has learned from his travels inside his mind, right? We earlier discussed his his background as a third culture kid and someone who grew up in India, the UK, Germany, and North Africa. But now we're talking mental health. Welcome to the show. Hey, Ty. How's it going, brother? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We are in unprecedented times, but we 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 still find a way to connect. So I'm very happy to to do that. I know, right? What a time to talk about this about. What a time to talk about this at. I mean, <laughs> it is. I think people are grappling with their mental health in in multiple ways. Maybe many things that they've suppressed in the past are now coming to the forefront, and so they're like, okay, let me deal with it now. I really have no other excuse. So that's that's what I've been seeing a lot of for sure. Yeah, same here. I, I mean, you take the words right out of my mouth, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I can only second that. Yeah. So, well, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, because I, I would love to do a brief catch-up session, because it's been a while. It's been a it's while. It's been a it's, while, man. Five yeah. years, and I gotta say, I mean, I gotta get this off my chest from the very beginning. There are two reasons I'm a little nervous about this podcast. One of them being that the first one we did, that was. Uh, that was one of the most fantastic conversations I've ever had. Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, I've, and, and I've done a couple of podcasts, uh, a few afterwards. But that podcast, man, I, I still have people uh, text me uh, about that one saying, wow, that was one conversation. Uh, fantastic conversation. I listened to the entire thing. Wow. Even after, what, five years, I think it's been. Yeah. And um, yeah. And that that podcast, it actually was a huge step forward for me in embracing my identity as a third culture kid. And I've been following your work since. And uh, I want to you know, say to your listeners, it, it's nothing short of inspiring the kind of work you're doing. Man. And I'm so, so happy things are going well for you. Well, I'm very humbled to, uh, to hear that because honestly, it, it's because of guests like you. I remember when I started it, I was just you know, grappling with my identity or expressing it rather, right? And I was thinking about ways to do that. And I kept thinking, well, let's see if we can bring on other people who are third culture kids and 
you know, talk about our experiences and hopefully be bridges to cultural divides. And so, you know, the fact that you, you said yes to me uh, meant a lot. So I'm, I'm honored that you still remember the conversation. <laughs> yeah, and more, more than just remember, man. I mean, uh, in, in a way, you're almost like, a, I would say, one of the pioneers to have addressed these issues. I mean, people talk about it all the time these days now. Uh, you know, global cultures and you know diversity management if that's a thing for lack of a better term i'm not that familiar with the official terms per se but yeah um, but um yeah i mean never before have these themes been so relevant and oh all these themes i know right yeah. and, and they keep interspersing now i mean diversity uh th- global identities mental health spiritual lives arts you know business it's you can't really separate them anymore they've no. come to a point where you know you need to figure out where you stand on each theme you know and have a certain degree of clarity regarding the same so, 100%. but i've been curious about the the growth since then because you know we talked about it you, you know yeah. you, you are you're dealing with identity but then you've also you know, I, I've seen that your music is has taken on a life of its own, and you've been touring, you've been doing different types of things, you've been expressing yourself, you've been exploring other art forms. What has been going on since then? Wow, it's been quite the roller coaster ride, man. And um, well, okay, let me see how how I can uh, sum this up as briefly as I can. <laughs> um, well, since the last time we talked, in about a year, I went completely nomadic. Um, or the next two years after that conversation we had, I, I was on the road most of the time in Europe and in Asia, mm, touring mostly. And um, a couple of years later, at some point, it came to the point. I'm still, I still have a primary base in uh, Mannheim, which is like you know Germany's best kept secret. I say it's. It's uh, Germany's um, second startup capital. It's a UNESCO music city. And yet, for some reason, a lot of people out, out of, you know, once you leave Germany, don't really know where it is. Um, but two years after a conversation, I'd come to a point where I'd outgrown my city, so to speak. And I knew, okay, it's either I move to one of the more, you know, more common cities where you want to establish a more global working uh, ethic, or you work location independent. Yeah. And I just decided to go for the second instead because I was just, I'm still pretty uh, satisfied with the kind of infrastructure this place gives me. You, you can be in anywhere in the world in 24 hours from where I am, yeah. which is um, a really good place to be in. So two years after that conversation, I think, or one and a half, exhausted from all the touring, I'm like, okay, I want to... Uh, like a lot of the touring um, is not necessarily helping me reach the audiences I want to. So um, I uh, gave up my sprawling apartment slash studio um, and um, kind of downsized and divided my time between one tiny little apartment, which I still live in, and shared studios in different locations. Um at the time, it was uh, some of it was in London, and um, um, another half of it was in Lisbon, which is where I was artist in residence uh, for two years. Um, and similar operations in India as well. 
So basically what I do is I'd, you know, keep coming back here for a couple of weeks, move on to the next city, work there and move on to the next city and work there and so on. And just about make it. Um, which is where the whole nomadic thing kind of, you know, this is probably the time where the whole nomadic lifestyle was uh, building up to the climax, which I describe in the press release of this current single, which I'm using to address mental health. Nobody here. Mm, I'm going to fast forward to this scenario, which I call my official epiphany mm. of uh, how I realize, okay, mental health is a beast I really need to address. Um, I'm in my apartment and I feel nothing, like literally the walls are closing down and I have no clue what's happening to me. And uh, I even say in the, you know, press release that this, it was a far, like this emptiness I'm feeling is, is a far cry from the proverbial emptying of a cup, which is, you know, also often used um, as a metaphor in very spiritual practices, a lot of which I'd been very active in, like meditation and you know, similar um, I've always had a very spiritual, active spiritual life, but it wasn't this. It wasn't cutting it for you know to put it bluntly. This was just not that kind of emptiness. It was literally um, um, just inability to feel and complete anxiety and inability to act. I was just there, paralyzed. It was paralysis. Is the word I'm looking for. Um, I'm going to try and sum up the events which led to that and how I dealt with it because mm -hmm. that, that's the part I want to share because I think it's something a lot of people, a lot of us want to hear. Before I go ahead though, this is the second reason I want to uh, say, say I'm nervous about because this is the first time I'm talking openly about this. Right. And I should probably mention I'm not a qualified health, like mental health professional in any way. So uh, the best I can do at this point to hopefully contribute to um, soul movement is just be very honest and uh, transparent about how my experiences were. Um, so I guess this is me uh, sending off a trigger warning uh, to anyone listening. And um, I apologize in advance if, if I do. I mean, my intentions are definitely not to hurt anyone's feelings by anything what I say. Um, all I can, all I got is, you know, my story. Right. With all it's, its true. Yeah. With all its dark corners. So. We're, um, we're here for it. <laughs> all right, man. Um, so. Uh, part of the thing which happened um, during the last year before this scenario I just described, you know, my, this anxiety attack where I was like, okay, this really needs to be handled is um, I lost two of my closest friends to physical death. Um, Very sorry people, for your loss. Sorry? Very sorry for your loss. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. So am I, because these were people I was, uh, all of us were really counting on having around for a while. They were, you know, they, they went way before their time. Well, I don't know if anyone really goes before their time, but they definitely, you know, we weren't expecting them to go. It just happened out of the blue. Both of them were, uh, well, musical friends of mine, colleagues, and mentors. They, they were a little older than me, but they were teachers of mine. 
Um, and I say this, uh, you know, from a metaphorical point of view. At the same time, I lost another loved one to um, her mental health. So what was happening to me at the same time was basically the experience of having lost loved ones, A, to physical death, and two, to their mental health. And both at the same time, in the same phase of life. And I think, I guess, part of the most surprising fact was the latter felt way more painful. Because in spite of the surprise and the death that I'd been confronted with, the feeling of losing someone to their mental health was an entirely different uh, league of emotional pain I didn't even know existed. Which is why I'd realized, um, like, I think two of the most important elements of my epiphany was, number one, wow, this kind of emotional pain exists. I've never been confronted with something like this before. And two, wow, this is way more common than I realized. Like, uh, and that's, that's the discovery I made over the next two years once I went into therapy. Like, wow, this is way more common than I even know. And this is happening um, so much more often to so many more people around the world. And I didn't even know about this. Or maybe I did. I just hadn't noticed. The physical death of it was, you know, th that was easier to get through because, you know, we had a circle of friends and family who were, um, you know, there for each other and, you know, we accepted the death. Um, I lost one friend to cancer, another to uh, a very sudden heart attack out of the blue, who's my mentor uh, as a kid, played his last concert, went to his hotel room, never woke up. It's almost like romantic in a way, so um, that, it was easier to deal with. I was, I was really mad at them for having left so soon because like, dude, I was, you know, I was really counting on you. Uh, being around for a lot more longer. But, uh, you know, the family and friends and the community, we managed to kind of get each other through. Um, I guess on some levels we're still dealing with it. But, yeah, it, there was a certain um, role nature played in the whole thing where you feel like, okay, you know, this is obviously beyond my control. So... Uh, just, you know, all I have to do now is accept it. Well, the latter was an experience where um, I think at some level I'm still processing. Uh, I don't know if we ever really stopped processing. But it was just uh, it's the kind of thing I generally didn't know existed. So I'm just going to describe what happened. And this is the part where it gets a little funky because I don't know if I'm overstepping boundaries by saying this, uh, but I, I can't seem to come up with the method uh, how to just, you know, say the story without getting into it. So I was in a very serious relationship with um, someone who uh, I found out way a little later into the relationship had a very, very, like a heartbreaking, heartbreaking past of very cruel abuse, like the worst kind of abuse you can think of, basically. And um, it's the kind of thing you'd never think a person like that has gone through when you first meet them, because, you know, this is one of the most wonderful people I've ever met in my life. And um, it was also the kind of love where you think, okay, this is it, you know, you've 
found in inverted commas the one a concept which changed for me permanently after this episode for better or for worse but it's what it felt like um and contrary to what a lot of people might think it, it didn't feel like a very it wasn't like it wasn't hormones or just some wild romantic concept or projection we were trying to fulfill it read generally was real except halfway into the relationship there were you know some signs would show up which just didn't add up to my mind back then part of it being maybe just lack of exposure or um, just uh, i don't know ignorance um up until a point where things would get pretty dark in the sense i would feel like i'm talking to two different people at two different times of the day so this part where um, i'm coming back to that epiphany scenario i've lost two of my closest friends to to death which i'm still grieving over and my partner who um this was a it was a semi long distance relationship because you know i was based between lisbon and germany who just um left a week earlier and said i'll see you next week we said goodbye at the airport calls me out of the blue and says okay we're done and like six hours after we were making uh you know we we were having pretty serious discussions about things like marriage and shit um and that happens a week before she's supposed to come over back come back over and help me move to the new apartment because i'm changing my entire infrastructures because you know we want to go nomadic the two of us completely and even while i listen back to my words i realize wow you know this is the plot of so many dramas out there and you know you think it's the kind of thing you'd see coming except the experience of it all when you're actually in the middle of it is just the kind of thing you can you know you only experience you only understand if you experience firsthand to genuinely see a loved one be completely out of control of the darker side to the point where um you it's not just you hurting but you seeing them hurting themselves and that hurting more and the entire thing snowballing to the circle of pain is um was the biggest lesson i probably had in my life i'm going to try and move on to what exactly happened afterwards and uh, what the implications of the same for my life because at the point when this happened returning to the scenario i did de- genuinely thought okay this is it i'm not going to make it anymore i mean how does a guy you know recover from this i know it's like it's it's all the story in the books is a broken heart and getting dumped and all that but it wasn't about a relationship coming to an end it was just that that didn't even bother me that much because you know it's i guess with human relationships in this day and age you always kind of move in uh, and you know you always um moving in with a certain level of respect for each other's space and you know you you know you, sh- you don't want to project too much of your own ideas of what your future holds onto the other it wasn't so much the relationship ending but just to see a loved one suffer the way they were i'm 
it spiral out of co- completely out of control is uh, the kind of helplessness that just um, didn't make any sense whatsoever, for uh, lack of a better term. So um, I also realized, wow, I've been living nomadically for two years, and I was supposed, my, you know, my partner was supposed to help me move. And now I'm here, I'm stuck in the middle of three cities. I'm supposed to be in Lisbon in two weeks, finish my projects there. I'm supposed to be, have moved house by then. And afterwards, I'm supposed to fly to India for the rest of my tour. And I don't have a single friend around me right where I'm right now. And I don't know how the hell I'm supposed to get this move done with, because turns out all my friends are on the screen, you know. Um, one of the very uh, natural byproducts, I think, of living nomadically, or even being a third culture kid, for that matter. But halfway into this whole phase, of, you know, when, when I lost my friends uh, and, and into the relationship, I was you know, starting to get into therapy. It wasn't so much um, um, because I felt threatened by or worried about the relationship as much, but also because I realized, okay, you know, uh, seems to me every now and then that you know, I, I guess at the back of my head, at at some subconscious level, I had the feeling that I kept attracting certain similar situations in my life, um, which can't be a coincidence. And um, I don't know how much of a believer you are in that whole law of attraction thing. I personally uh, don't disbelieve it, uh, but I don't necessarily identify with the, uh, with the um, what's the right word? I'm not a huge fan of the commodity it's often made out to right. be. But um, I do believe that there is a certain law of, you know, let's just put it that way. I do believe that the events in our life are something we definitely have a whole certain degree of responsibility for. I have no doubts about that. So that was my primary reason at the time to go into therapy and kind of, you know, try and focus on, okay, what, what, what's it I'm, what is it that I'm doing wrong? Or better put, how do I improve um, the way things are going on inside, you know, I want to work on my internal machinery. You know, I spent a lot of my life uh, working on external, I'm ex-obese, I've lost, I've gained and lost 60 kgs in my life. So a lot of my life has been um, spent working on that part. And I knew, okay, this is time where I need to work on the internal side of things. And, um, I'm really glad I did because um, that's the the first thing I one of the first things I did the day after was uh, obviously call my therapist and uh, well therapist actually I, I even have two so um, yeah um, um, how are you asking me a question at this point <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm a little yeah. <laughs> I'm hearing you go through the story and I'm hearing you talk about how painful yeah. these experiences were, right? You had the two losses, you had the, the breakup, uh, and you were going through therapy. Yeah. What, did you, what did you realize? Because it sounds like you realized you were alone, but then what did you realize within yourself that you needed to do in order to address these emotions and how did you come out of it with your coping mechanisms? Yeah, that's exactly the question I need to hear. 
I think my first uh, realize the most important realization I made was um, I need to take more responsibility for the events happening in my life. Mm. And um, yeah, and there's a fine balance between uh, you know getting becoming control freak. That's that was that's not where I was headed because I've always been about all right. You know, you know how artists. I, I do kind of fulfill a certain cliche of an artist about going with the whole flow thing. Yeah. And I'm happy, I'm blessed to have had a knack for that, except I knew, I realized at this point, that's just one side of the coin, you know, like that, the freedom that that's based on is, is the other side of a certain level of discipline I need to start working on. Interesting. Uh, huh. So yeah. taking responsibility. So you said you had to, so what was the thing that you didn't take responsibility for? Um, that's a very good question. And there are many levels to that answer. Um, I guess my uh, demons. Wow, your demons. So your your traumas and your inner, everything that I guess you you might have suppressed. This is what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. The idea of people suppressing things that, that I guess affect them or really determine how they see the world. You and you don't have to share if you can't, but if if if, if there was a demon or there were demons that you needed to address, what came to light with you as with your therapist as you were talking? You know, I, I imagine a lot of third culture kids could probably relate to some of the things that you experienced in terms of demons. No, please, I'm more than happy to share. That's the whole reason I'm doing this. Um, um I think the, the primary. Uh, fears that came up and still keep coming up are abandonment issues, number one. Um, a certain fear of constantly losing people, It's you know, it's, which is very typical of third culture kids. Um, a certain degree of neediness, um, which still is under a lot of scrutiny. I'm still working that one out. Because I oscillate, uh, oscillate between uh, neediness and uh, also, uh, adamant freedom as well. You know, my, my independence, freedom is are very important things to me. And yet, there's this constant human need to connect, and finding a balance between the two is something I'm still figuring out. And like you, having grown up in so many different places, and that constant change of backdrops uh, has instilled this seems to have instilled a sense of impermanence in my relationships anyway so on one hand there's a part of me which seems to have been subconsciously programmed to think all relationships are meant to end anyway you know on the other hand and this is the surprising part i come from a very loving family uh, and my parents have been married for 42 years. So there's this stark contradiction happening in my mind the whole time at the back of my head, which I still, you know, don't seem to know how to connect and bring. You know, there's a very dualistic play of affairs happening. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm still trying to figure out. Oh, that's deep. Abandonment is one that shows up all the time. Right? I know, right? Yeah, it shows up a lot. And so I guess if you don't address that as, as anyone, even if you're not a third culture kid, it's hard for you to then, I don't know, is, is it hard for you to then trust people or let people in or what usually shows up or just be yourself in a way where you're not sabotaging something? Um, surprisingly enough, I, I oscillate between trusting people too easily and then being heartbroken. Ah. Yeah. Huh. So that's the that's the first thing my therapist said. Like you're constantly attracting heartbreak, and you need to figure out why. And it's like you're programmed to attract heartbreak all the time. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so that was one demon. Yeah. How? What, uh, was, uh, and not just intimate relationships, by the way. You just just you set the record straight. Well, friendships, oh. all, all kinds of relationships. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Or even career. Yeah. So you, you, in a sense, you're attracting. You're attracting the people that you don't even want to attract, it sounds like, or that will ultimately fulfill your uh, your self-fulfilling prophecy with yeah yeah that yeah. people will always leave anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and a lot of times when I do attract the people I want to, uh, you know, they scare the shit out of me. Ah, uh, that that's like the, that's that's what I was right trying people. to get at. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get at. So then, yeah. in that sense of, I guess it's a sense of sabotage. Because I've experienced this and and I've seen it happen a lot of times. Was there a way for you to come out of that where you recognize that you deserve that? You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's probably one of the things I'm happy to say. Um, uh, I've made a lot of progress on since the past couple of years. Um, I have my both my therapists. Thanks so much for because. Uh, I'm, I don't know how much better I've gotten at attracting the right people, but the one thing they've really instilled in me is a skill set for identifying that that knee-jerk reaction of do you know feeling fear when you've met someone or met something or met some event in your life which you really want, and what you do when you feel that fear. So, so what do you reckon we do? You know, this is sometimes I'm still figuring out. I, I, go, I go to therapy too, and I, I've said, I've shared this with my audience. I, you know, I shared it on the 500th episode, and it was something that I had to come to terms with. It was a toxic relationship that got me into therapy. And one of the things that I realized was I, I was 
I was losing my self-worth trying to be something else for someone else, uh, you know, someone else for something else, because it, it seemed like for me, I was dating someone with abandonment issues. So I, I understand. But for me, my trauma, my demon had always been never feeling enough. Right. So that that was that was that. And that's a, it's a complex combination when you bring someone with abandonment issues and someone that has dealt with not being enough because it's, it's almost like that the opposites of, of the trigger, right? Someone always wants someone to, you know, to make sure to show that they're still there. And the other person is like, well, but I'm doing everything. <laughs> like yeah. what else, what else do you want? And so it was just this, this weird complex thing where uh, we were triggering each other. And, um, uh, and that, you know, when, when someone is very insecure, she, she was, you know, she was like sabotaging, right? You just, there would always be something coming up and I would take that personally and think, well, I must have done something wrong. I, I'm not enough again. And so what, what I, I, I really, what my therapist had me do was she had me go through this simple exercise. She was like, okay, you need to write down what your strengths are, what you, what you feel your flaws are, what you bring to the table. And if you feel like you consistently do that on a daily basis. And I was like, okay, I don't know if this is going to help. But as I was doing the exercise, you know, I, you know, she made me come up with five to 10 and she's like, stretch yourself, get to 10. And I started to, as I was writing, I started to realize, well, of course I compromised who I was going to be because some part of me thought I wasn't enough. All right. And I, and d d even deeper than that was, I thought that I was never going to find someone else like this person. And she said, well, why do you think you're never going to find someone else like that person? And I said, I, I don't know, just because I've, it hasn't really happened for me initially. And so when it happened, I just sort of swung everything there. And what she reminded me of was, that's not how your self-worth works. You still have to keep the same person you are. You worked hard to be who you are and you never have to sacrifice wh whatever your, your, your value is because you feel like you're going to lose someone. That's from a place of lack. And so I, that's something I, I'm now mindful of every day, right? Now, if you come across someone, you feel like there's some sparks, the thing that I always have to check myself uh, on is, okay, the sparks are there, but is this going to cause you to sacrifice some form of your identity, right? There's a difference to sacrificing for a relationship, but sacrificing yourself is, a, is, is, is always going to manifest itself in the long run. So that's what I learned from that, but I don't know if that's something similar with you. Now, amen, brother. I mean, th that, could be, that could have been my words right now. That's pretty much the identical experience I made. Um, and my therapist, um, uh, one of my therapists, one of the things she said was, you know, it's, um, uh, is, you know, you meet someone, remember, you know, even if you love that person, you got to remember you love yourself more. And that, mm -hmm. that tends to come across as very egoistical, but that's really not, you know, that's really not what it's aiming at. Because you, um, again, you know, as, as cheesy as it sounds, we can never love someone more than we love ourselves, right? It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's the cheesiest line in the book, but it's so true. And it's one thing to say it out loud and to really realize it through personal experience. That, wow, you know, I literally cannot love someone more than I love myself. But oftentimes, more, more, than, of, more than often, we try and do that. We try and, you know, fill up some hole with um, someone else's demons <laughs> at the end of the That's day. That's true. That's true. That's so true. Yeah. Uh, okay. Or then, okay. So let's talk about then what led you to, to, to reach out and then to come to the other side, because I, I really want to dive into coping mechanisms, right? Because 
as we're saying is I'm sure a lot of people are nodding there and saying, that's me, that's me. But they're thinking, okay, well, is there a way out, right? Is there some light at the end of the tunnel? Right? Absolutely. I, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I keep interrupting you, man. There's a slight latency. But yeah, and that's exactly the reason I want to talk about this, because I want to let people know that, yes, there is a way out. And the way out is reality. The reality is that we are out, except we're so caught up in our fears with the demons that we forget that our natural state of being is one of um, truth and happiness. Oh, mm. Dude, th uh, damn, that sounds so cheesy when I say it. It's, yeah, like, it's, it's okay, it's true. <laughs> uh, but uh, and that's uh, what I really want to say, except it's, you know, that simple truth to actually, you know, be, um, be that truth requires a little more work than we realize. And the kind of work which is tricky. I think the trickiest part is to identify, okay, exactly where do I start? Where do I begin? You know, I get it, I get it, but where do I begin? So that's, that's where therapy comes in. And um, I think the major difference, to start off with, I think anyone in this day and age who still uh, has any, any kind of bias towards therapy really needs a reality check. It's 2020, and to to not have a coach for your life is just not a good idea anymore. It's a strong opinion. I'll start with that. Uh, secondly, the, the primary reason being we cannot be our own therapists. The, the, there are two fundamental facts. One being we can never be our own therapists. And number two, the therapist can never do the work we need to do. Um, the first point being when we, you know, we could try and talk sense, you know, analyze a problem, figure out what the solution could be, imply, uh, apply these solutions, and then get into some kind of a cannibalistic conversation with ourselves, except the chances are that's exactly what happens. It will turn cannibalistic. You know, when we're trying to use our brain to repair our own brain, it just kind of bursts. It's just too much work. Whereas when you're, you know, expressing that energy out to someone, a qualified, compassionate therapist, or even a friend, sometimes in some cases, um, you know, j just for the record, you know, it, it, the entire direction of that energy takes on a different shape altogether, in a different form, because there's exchange. You know, you express yourself. It's being received by someone who has compassion for these thoughts, for your demons, for your fears, respects it, and they'll get the dirt out and they'll reflect back to you what you need to see. So it's the difference between standing in front of a mirror and taking a good look of yourself if you, if you like what you see, or just, you know, trying to uh, twist your head in, from different angles and you know, trying to look at yourself different angles which will never work and you always be doing guesswork does that sound too weird yeah 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 i mean so going into therapy doing the work and it sounds like you're saying we have to be willing to be vulnerable to address these things i think the world has conditioned us to have stigmas around you know mental health and so if we talk about it it makes us feel like we're weak but you you you, you know you, you have you had traumatic experiences happen to you that 
sort of reopened wounds that you didn't even think you did would have. Well, maybe you thought you did, but you didn't think you need to address. But you said you grew up in a, a loving family, but that didn't matter it, it, it with, you know, <laughs> when it came to how you saw yourself, because then your value and self-worth was placed somewhere else. And then you were lonely. And, you know, part of being a TCK is you, you're sort of used to living in transit and having friends in different parts of the world. But when they were across the screen and you needed someone, that person was not physically there, which is very yeah. similar, very similar yeah. to COVID-19, right? Right. A lot of people are oh, not yeah. close to people that they that they thought that they would always have. And then you realize, wow, okay, uh, what true. do I do now? <laughs> so true. You bring up so many important topics when you uh, say that, man. Vulnerability, I mean, that's, that's one of the most common words going around in the old self-help community. To the point where it's almost starting to become a dirty word, but hopefully it won't go that far. But um, in, you know, assuming the, the authenticity and the sanctity of that word still remains intact, let's address vulnerability. In my case, my refusal to, you know, to my refusal to be vulnerable and also my lack of understanding of what that even meant forced me to bring myself into a situation where being vulnerable was the only sh option left right when, you, when when i was there you know on my mattress like okay i have to move in two days move 10 years of my life and completely restructure it, uh, it all there's literally no one around here who can help me also i thought and my partner just who was supposed to come you know do that with me just uh yeah, just kind of, you know, disappeared into a whole dark hole. Um, all, you know, vulnerability was all I had. You know, my, it was like like the, the universe saying, okay, you know, you, I gave you a chance. Um, you didn't listen, so I'm going to break you now because it's the only choice you leave me with. So you decide, you know, so you take that step to build what you need to build on now. Yeah, beautiful. So, so what's the next step? I know you created a song. You wrote a song about this. I wrote a song about this. I, I, I should probably um, tell you another side to this thing. Please, um, please. Yeah. So I, I was literally like, I don't, I, I didn't know how to move. You know, uh, I know that sounds weird, but this was ten years of my life because this apartment wasn't just my apartment; it was also my studio, you know, like my professional yeah. studio. And it's literally not humanly possible to move all that stuff on your own in two year in two days. My landlord gave me notice, and uh, she wasn't being a, a very cooperative either. She, I got to see a very different side of her after ten years, which I didn't know existed. Another shocker. Um, so here's the thing: I'm like, okay, I'm this is it. I'm done. I, I have, I don't know how to do this. I just yeah. And then uh, I hear uh, my doorbell ring. And it's my neighbor from upstairs. It's like this uh, really wonderful quintessential German family who had just probably just exchanged hellos every now and then in the 10 years we knew each other. And he said, I hear you're moving and you might need help. What can I do? <laughs> and this is a guy who I've like, probably talked to in, what, 10 times in 10 years? Maybe a little um, more? Um... And I'm like, wow, do you have any idea how to take a kitchen apart? He said, yeah, it's actually I do. <laughs> so give me an hour. And he's back in an hour. 
he's because uh, that's one of the things my landlord really kind of screwed me over with. Uh, I had to completely disassemble an entire kitchen, and I have no clue how that works. He did, so uh, um, a job I thought was gonna take at least another week was done and over within two hours. Um, and this guy just, you know, knocked on my door after a working day of eight hours of his own and said, okay, yeah, sure, I'll help you out. No problem. That happened. The next day, uh, two of my friends who hadn't met in almost five years, because these five years had been completely nomadic, right? So every time I'd be back here in, my, in Germany, I'd just be ticking deadlines off. And I didn't really have a social life. My social life was in different places, mostly in Lisbon and London. And, and India, of course, where, where I'd be with my family. Germany was where I'd just come and finish my deadlines. So these two old friends of mine from college who said, hey, we're in town, I hear uh, you might need help moving. So, yeah, I could, we could help if you want. And <laughs> uh, they arrive in, a, uh, in 48 hours. And the new studio I'm, work, I'm moving to... Um, you know, my studio partner, uh, he helped me out with the rest of the studio to move that. So uh, that was, and I know that might sound, I don't know how much of an impact I make when I'm describing that part, but if there is such a thing as divine intervention or divine assistance, this is as legit as it gets. Because one moment I'm like, uh, okay, I can't do this. I, I, I give up, you know, I'm done, I'm broken. Yeah. And... Ten minutes later, my doorbell rings, and the rest of it just kind of falls into place. It's like uh, it's like someone was looking out for you. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. But I needed to. I felt like I needed to kind of surrender. That surrender was the condition. At least that's how I interpret it at this point. Um, you know, these are very complex issues to talk about. Um, so I don't know how great a job I'm doing. Uh, regarding this, but no, the, you did a great job. I, you, thanks, man. The, the thing that we talked about, by, by the way, I, the the way you are telling the story, the fact that it's you know sometimes it's difficult for you to recall or it's hard for you to express. That's the point of this. It's that it's hard to discuss, but also you're being vulnerable, right? You, yeah, you're you're yeah. talking about the fact that it's you are just paralyzed in that moment, and you're like, yeah. I I gotta be honest. I'm 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 I'm. For lack of a better term, I'm scared shit talking about it. This is, yeah. uh, but I'm also super happy because I I know that you know um, uh, it definitely feels right. But yeah, it's it's kind of scary talking about this, and that's one of the things I really would like listeners to know that you know this is the right kind of fear. This I agree. Is, this is the kind of fear which, which will, as contradictory as it sounds, this is the fear which beats the demons because you're confronting it. And uh, once we do that, we realize sometimes our so-called demons might just be our angels. That's right. Your demons might be your angels. Wow, that is a, that is a bar. Okay. Yeah. That is a bar. All right. <laughs> That is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have never. Wow. Sorry. You know, I'm, I'm a poet, so I, I like looking for those type of. Uh, I remember. That is crazy. Okay. Our yeah, demons yeah. can be our angels. If, if that doesn't. Okay. You need to do something with that. That is that is just a beautiful way to express that. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, man. Hey, anytime. So. Okay. Okay. And so then we go to the the music and. 
and what you're doing now. What do you want the audience to take away from from uh, this conversation? The song's called Nobody Here, and I want to, um, the primary thing I wanted to address with this was, uh, you know, the first lines of the song go, cold as stone, I feel no more, refuse to hoard a heart within. Um, close that door, just walls adorn, no tears to flow into the sea. So it basically describes that very fine line between um, emptiness, the kind of emptiness um, which a lot of, like I said, spiritual practices aim for. Yeah. You know, the, the emptying out of our egoic projections. Um, yeah. Did I interrupt you? No, no, that's beautiful. Um, oh, that's beautiful. Um, and the fine line between that and emptying ourselves completely by draining ourselves of the right kind of energy, by just not acknowledging our demons. That's the best way I can put it. It's, it's a very fine line at times. Yeah. So. And one of the, and this is the part uh, where it gets tricky. So, you know, I have the whole South Asian background, Indian background thing, wherein I, I grew up steeped in a lot of spiritual practices, like, you know, the pretty stereotypical, really. Um, um, that's like a whole different topic altogether. So a lot of, a lot of my community grows up thinking, you know, Living a spiritual life is just, is an adequate substitute for taking, you know, investing in your mental health. And I think one of the most important realizations I've made these past two years is that is simply not true. Mental health and a fulfilling spiritual life, they might be connected and complementary to each other, but one doesn't guarantee the uh, success of the other. Yeah. Wow. And you, you, you had to experience what you experienced to get to that conclusion. Yes. So nobody here is, is like a double entendre it is in, in the sense, I don't know if I pronounce the word entendre properly. I'm very self-conscious now because I know you speak French. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. I don't know. Uh, double but, entendre. Yeah, that, you got it. Yeah, you got yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, I'm uh, To how, you know, that emptiness we aim for can also, you know, it's, it's also a, re a, a tribute to the dualistic uh, nature of life and how it's a constant interplay between the two and finding that fine line in between is what we are always basically trying to aim for one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, wow, okay. Now this is good. I, I hope anyone listening is, is just thinking about this. You know, I think the whole point of the, the episode has been to really, you know, address your inner demons, be vulnerable, talk about what it is that you need, ask for help, you know, yes. that's not a shame. And, yes. and then be willing to do the work, right? It's going to be painful at yes. first. It's going to be painful, but it's the kind of pain which you feel good about. It's, you know, there's pain where you feel when you, you know, get punched in the face. And there's also the pain where you've finally decided to try yoga. Yeah. You know, and the latter is a very, it's, it's a healing pain. And another really important thing I need to get out there is when we heal, we heal our loved ones by default. Because 
again, this would be a topic for another whole different podcast. Like a lot of this put my relationships with my loved ones, like even my family, who love me to bits, by the way, but it really put my relationship with my parents and closer relatives under very deep scrutiny. And, and I needed to, a lot of stuff that went down, which wasn't easy for us. Uh, and, but it was worth it because um, the kind of work we put in and the side effects of these will affect our loved ones and close ones too. And I want to say that that's okay because even if there might be resistance in the beginning because it's unfamiliar ground for everyone, mm-hmm. remember that your loved ones, even if they might have trouble understanding why you're going through certain changes which might come across as radical to them, it doesn't have to be, it might. Um, at the end of the day, not only will you be doing yourself a favor by you know sticking to your you know instinct and doing the work but you'll be helping them out too in the long run one way or the other mm. uh, that, that should probably be taking again like i said i'm not a qualified mental health specialist so that's something that should should be taken with uh, a grain of salt maybe but uh, that's another experience I really had. My, my relationships with my loved ones all over improved by leaps and bounds. Wow. It, it, so it, it has a rippling effect, basically. Definitely. Definitely. And there was resistance at some point from certain, certain parts of my family. Uh, and that completely changed. Not my parents, by the way. They were very supportive the whole time. By the way, they had my back like, big time. And couple of my closer friends but um with all of him one way or the other uh it just really cleared things up i i cut off connections with some people too wherein i realized with him i realized okay this was toxic and uh, everyone got a fair chance uh, some took this chance and gratefully built our relationship farther on that some didn't and uh, the consequences which followed were just a natural uh, set of the same. But um, what point being, the work is worth it. It's, it benefits, like sticking to our truth, being true to our truth is something that benefits not just us, but all our surroundings, our immediate surroundings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't thank you enough. This has been a really... It's been therapeutic, for lack of a better word. It's been really therapeutic. But it's it's one of those episodes that I think is needed, especially even now. And I, I think the the way you've just expressed yourself and talked about what got you to really do the the inner work is, I, I, I you know, it's a beautiful thing to say. And, and thank you so much for doing that and coming on the show to talk about that. Thanks, man. Thank you for having me and giving me this opportunity. I'm a fan of Thai Roxon, by the way. I love the work you're doing, man. No, seriously, it's I'm, I'm I'm so happy with the growth you've been going through. I've been observing you the whole time, and it's not just um, it's not just how your your followers have exploded, but uh, you know you say it authentic. You're still authentic guy. I talked to five years back now, and that just like gives me a lot of hope, and it instills a lot of confidence in me in myself in my. Uh, skills of assessing a human being i thought you were awesome back then and you proved me right and i want to say thank you for that wow 
Thank you so much. Uh, wow. <laughs> no, honestly, it, it's uh, it's very humbling to hear that. It, that's the whole reason I started this episode or podcast rather is to get people to share stories that we don't often hear about. And, you know, I'm glad that you did that today. Cheers, brother. Thanks for having me. <laughs> The pleasure is mine. I can't let you go, though, before asking you this question. This is the last question. No, I, I always ask my guests this. How do you use your difference to make a difference? Huh. How do I use my difference? I mean, I remember answering this question five years back. I don't want to <laughs> give you the same, same answer. Hey, so, hey you could have um, changed. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I believe in sincerity. I believe... That the, the entire paradigm of planet Earth is changing big time. The old mentality of doggy dog is has been so proven wrong, and I think we're entering an age where mutual support and empowerment and love for each other is the answer, and not just for personal and spiritual fulfillment but also for everything even things like the economy and health and the entire planet like never before has it been evident that love is the answer as cheesy as that sounds and i've always i've always i always remember being called naive my entire life people have called me naive because of these ideals i had because i wouldn't just keep them to myself privately but i'd like wear them on my sleeve and I'm saying one, I think one of the biggest differences I've tried to own is me wearing on my sleeve the fact that, no, I believe love is the answer. And I'm going to keep wearing that on my sleeve because I want people to read that and with the hope that they'll feel the same way. Um, I, I, you know, this is that I couldn't agree with you more. I have been accused of being idealistic my whole life. It's the same sort of thing. But I think we're fighting the good fight. I know people often think we're we're naive and uh, and ignorant, but I do believe in the, in the good of humanity. So I know no, you get it. I yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show once again. That was that's a beautiful way to use your difference to make a difference. Thanks for having me, Tayo, as always. And um, yeah, yeah. Well, the pleasure is mine. <laughs> um, right, Till next time, ladies, gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals. Use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 